You're listening to the Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Better Man Podcast. My name is Adam Tarno. Excited to be with you today and introduce you to my new friend, Dr. Roger Parrott. He is the president of Bellhaven University in Jackson, Mississippi. He was also recognized as one of the 10 most visionary education leaders of 2021 by the Education Magazine. And here's a little fun fact. He's also one of the longest-serving college presidents in America. He's been there at Bellhaven for over 30 years. Our topic of conversation today is opportunity leadership. And this is applicable not just to our vocational, professional lives, but this is applicable to our home lives, to our marriage, to our uh, life in our local churches. And I'm just going to warn you, if you are like if you've got any bit of you that likes to plan, uh, Dr. Parrott's going to mess with you. Uh, he was messing with me. You know, I'm a talked about this before. I'm a recovering CPA. I like plans. Uh, they bring me comfort. And now, now I don't know what I think or feel about them after just talking with Dr. Parrott. So I think you're really going to enjoy getting to know him. He's got some great metaphors, tons of energy, and a really challenging topic for all of us. So enjoy my conversation with Dr. Roger Parrott. Okay, well, Dr. Parrott, welcome to the Better Man Podcast. Great to have you here today. Ah, it's a joy to be with you. I'm really honored to uh, be uh, in, uh, included because uh, I think you're doing some great things uh, to communicate with men, and uh, hopefully what we talk about today will be helpful. Yes, uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, we have a mutual friend who introduced us, and when she told me about some of the books that you've written or the, the, the book that you've written and some of the speaking that you do. I was very intrigued on this. So I'm just going to jump right in because you've got this idea on opportunity leadership. Can I just read a quote here? Because this is where I'd love for you to start. It says, uh, you say that relinquishing planning is the best thing I've done in my life. And so I would imagine that there's half of our audience that's going, yes, that's the way I've been living, <laughs> right? No plans. And then there's another half that are going, what? No plans? That's the best thing he's done in his life. And so why don't you talk a little bit about that and how you came to that conclusion? Exactly. Yeah, I, I will for sure. Um, you know, some people have called the book radical and I never thought it was all that radical. And maybe because I was a frog in the kettle and kind of grew into this over the years, uh, but as a, as a university president, you know, I was a long range planner like we all are. And I developed the long range plan, had the committees, the blue ribbon committees, put out the brochures, the whole thing. And, you know, had the plan for for the institution 10 years out. And what I found is it doesn't work. And um, and so the concept of the book is to get rid of long range planning and instead be sensitive to God's win and capture the opportunities that God bring to us as our destinations. And, and I think it's important right at the outset to make sure we're clear. I'm talking about long-range planning, not operational planning. I mean, I run a university. We're going to play football. We're going to offer a doctoral program. We're going to provide uh, meals for students in the dining commons. We plan very well what God's given us. What we don't plan are the destinations. And so Getting rid of this planning was the single best thing I've ever done because, first of all, it freed me to not be trying to force a future to happen, but really capture what God brings. Secondly, it opened up so many more opportunities that I ever could do on my own, on our best plans, 
And thirdly, it just deepened my relationship with the Lord because I am totally dependent. I mean, this institution going to fall flat on its face if God doesn't come through, but he comes through over and over again. And boy, it just brings you into a trusting God that is that is terrific for a way to live. Yeah, I like it. It's intriguing. It really is. And so uh, the first thing that you said about that it does is like uh, forcing this future. I really like that language. And, you know, when I think about leadership and especially in like the church context or uh, even what you're doing at the university in that context, people seem to want their leaders to be visionary, right? Like, I want you to live in this future and then come back and tell me how great it is and lead me there. So how do you balance being a visionary leader uh, by but still not trying to force this future? Yeah, and, and I think we have gotten into a model where that's that's become important for leaders, and especially in in local churches, often it's well, you're supposed to have spiritual insights that I don't have, and part of that way is how leaders have established their authority. That I see things from God that you don't see, and so you know that's a pretty dangerous road to go down. What I have found is we've made our whole campus aware that we're open to opportunities as God brings them. And so it's not all just coming from me. Yeah, a lot of times I have more of the context, so they bubble up here. But to bring everybody as part of that process for what is God's future for us, and let's find that in big ways and in small ways, and and let's pursue those moments as they come. And part of that is to absolutely know what our mission is and stay within the boundaries of what fits are the right opportunities for me. And there are ways to measure that. How long ago did you come up with this idea? Is this something last four, five, six years, or has it been a little longer? We changed 20 years ago. I gave up long-range plan. I've been a university president for 33 years and a little over 40 years in, in higher education administration, VP and president. And so for half of that time, I did the traditional long-range planning. But if you come on our website, there is no plan for Bellhaven 2030. Uh, it does not exist. There is absolutely no plan. And you know, when I would tell people about this, when we started, we'd say, you know, we believe God's sovereign in all. God wants is controlling our future. We trust God for that future. And so we're not going to have a plan. We're going to go where God leads us. And everybody would say, well, that's great. That's wonderful. But if that doesn't work, what's the real plan? Well, the real plan is there is no plan. That is the plan. There's no plan. And so literally, we have no plan for the destinations of where we might go. What we are going to plan is to use very well what God has given us. And what I find is we have many more opportunities than we could ever fulfill once you get sensitive to the wind of God. I like that. What what has been the reaction over the last 20 years uh, especially with those who really do maybe uh, for, for right reasons, right? They enjoy planning. They like it. They're good at it, you know, and, and coming up with some of those plans. What, what's some of the reaction been to this idea of there are no long range, you know, destinational plans like you've been talking yeah, about? Yeah. And I go a little farther in your summary. I'd say they're addicted to it. It's not that just they like it and they're good at it, but they really are addicted to it. What happens in traditional planning is, first of all, we aim for targets we know we can hit. I gave an illustration on the board uh, in the book about this with my board, where we look back at the past five years and had we done what we saw God had done over those five years, if we had tried to predict that, we would have taken on about half of that. It homogenizes our strengths. You can't develop a plan for your ministry, your business, your life, and 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 segment out and say, we're going to push hard on this and, and this we're going to ignore. You can't do that. It focuses on deficiencies. Uh, all planning focuses on what we don't have. Opportunity leadership focuses on what we do have. 
There's a lot of empty productivity. There's a lot of meetings, all that kind of stuff. It sets unrealistic expectations. I mean, who hasn't done a plan where the growth charts are perfect and, and the economy is ideal and everything works out? Life doesn't work that way. If you had a plan three years ago, you don't have one today. Nobody had COVID in their plan. And, and uh, you know, there are other kinds of things. But one of the worst is that it builds around contrived numbers. You know, why do people have a plan for 2030? How come nobody has a plan for 2029 or 2031? Why are we wanting to raise a million dollars or $10 million or $100 million? Those are fine to communicate complex ideas, but that's marketing. That's not planning. And so what we do is just totally eliminate all that. We trust God for opportunities and things have come to us. I never could have imagined. My newest one is we're offering a doctor a business administration in China 100% online, teaching in Chinese, linked with the number one school in China. Here's a Christian college in Jackson, Mississippi, working with the number one school in China, Doctor Business Administration. You can't plan that stuff. Only God brings those opportunities. That's a, a, What a great illustration there. Really proves your point on a lot of this. So, okay, you got my mind going here. So I've got like two competing questions. So I'm just going to pick one and then I'll hopefully I'll remember the, the second one uh, with all of this. But um, I know you have an answer for this. Why is this not passivity, right? So we're talking to men. We are men. Uh, if there is a knock against men sometimes is that we're passive. We can just sit there and just let life come our way. So how is this not that? Well, it's not that in in this sense. And that is when we started this, I, I had to come up with some way to communicate this to my campus. So if you talk about opportunity leadership on my campus, most people won't know what you're talking about. What they will know is the difference between powerboats and sailboats. That is the model that we use to be a sailboat prepared to catch the wind of God and go wherever God's wind takes us rather than a powerboat that goes where we think God wants us to go and ignores the wind. Now, you know, in I got a powerboat and, and when I get in it, I can pretty much go wherever I want. I can completely ignore the until it runs out of gas. And of course, at that point, we're done. Uh, but I can do that by myself and I feel strong and powerful and I feel like I'm making something happy. In a sailboat, it's totally different. It takes preparation. It takes sensitivity to the environment of what's going on. It takes, it takes the ability to adjust and maneuver as things change once you get into, into moving. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole breakdown I did through the book between trust and focus and preparation and control and relationships, demands. I mean, a, anybody can be a sailor in a powerboat. Just get in, put on a hat and go. It takes a real sailor to be to, to, to take a, a sailboat. And so that's where the demand comes. It's not so much I'm going to force this to happen, but I'm going to prepare my team. I'm going to change the culture. I'm going to change the atmosphere so that we really can respond to these opportunities in a way that that is beyond what we could control. And this works whether you're talking about a church or a ministry or a university or somebody's home or, or a business. I mean... Uh, I mean, you know, it, it works It works in that arena as well. Jim Morgan was one of the endorsers of my book. Jim was the guy, the president, who turned around Krispy Kreme. He said, this is exactly what we did at Krispy Kreme. It was such a mess. We couldn't have a plan. We captured these opportunities. And that's what we need to do at home with our kids as well. You know, don't, don't force your plan on them. Let them become who they want with the opportunities God brings. So I think it demands a lot more 
than planning, although you don't have the structure. And you got to teach the team, if you're doing planning, a new model, and you can't do that cold turkey. If you do, you'll get fired. I guarantee you. you got to have a process to make that happen. Yeah. I love that sailor and powerboat analogy. I can see why that's the one that really sticks with the students and sticks probably with your staff and the faculty there. And you bring up a great point, right? Because the sailor is really a technician and it takes a little bit more training, whether it be the the wakeboarding or ski boat or the fishing boat or something like that, that is relatively simple. Yeah. And it takes a lot more sensitivity to what's going on around you. Uh, you know, what I find is when opportunities come or when God's wind blows, it blows very gently at the beginning, very gently. And if you're so busy trying to go someplace, you don't even feel it. When you stop being busy, I mean, there have been many, been many times I've sat in my office at the beginning of a fall semester and said, what are we going to do new this year? And I really don't know. And by October, the agenda's jammed with new stuff. God brings opportunity and it gives you a great opportunity to celebrate who God really is in our lives when you trust him for that future. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you're bringing up great points too about how this applies to the home, right? And how many kids uh, we feel like we're trying to force our plan uh, on our kids and they've got to reach all these destinations. They've got to be doing this by 13 and 16 and 18, but letting the child who's made in God's image, their own unique person, letting them flourish and just being that sailor, helping guide them along. That works really, really well there. It really does. And and it's so important. I mean, as a university president, I pick up the pieces of some of those uh, (laughs) uh, kids who've been pushed so hard by their parents to to enact a plan that that they finally crash once they get away from them a little bit. God's got a better plan for your kids than you could ever come up with. He got a much better plan and you've got to trust him for it and let them be who they are with their gifts, their unique style, their unique perspective and when you do that, it's amazing how God will flourish in their life. But no, it's not going to be according to your plan. I guarantee it will be different. Yeah, no, yeah, it's good. And if it was according to my plan, then it would just be, it probably wouldn't be good, right? Or just be another me. And I don't know if the world needs uh, another but, that. You know, so. I often say about about the university, and it's, it's true about my home as well. The best plans we could come up with around conference tables written on whiteboards are pale in comparison to the plan that God has for us. So we want to get out of the way. And planning holds us back from finding God's best. The sad part about planning to me is not just that it doesn't work. The sad part is we're settling for less than God's best. God wants much more, but we're willing to settle for less because we want to be in charge of this plan. Yeah. Now, you and I obviously are having a conversation in the university, faith-based. Uh, this works in a church. This works in our in our homes that are founded on faith or where you know, we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the Bible. We're talking about God. You alluded to Krispy Kreme and some uh, not, you know, just some some businesses that aren't faith based. And I'm sure so many of our listeners are they have leadership responsibilities at work. They're really tracking with what we're saying. But the spiritual language that you and I are using and that we're using on this podcast, obviously, they would have some challenge there using that language. So talk real quickly. How do you see some uh, business leaders incorporating this language? And again, not sounding like abdicating responsibility and not sounding like we're just going to wing it, but making this sound like a, like a wise principle or something. That's wise a great question. And, and I think every, whether it's a business or a ministry or a church, every situation is different in how you apply this. And that's where the real art of it comes because you really are changing the culture. 
and you're shifting the culture. But, you know, there are businesses who've done this. I mean, this is what Google does. This is what uh, Tesla does. Uh, they're looking for opportunities. They're asking their people to explore. They're asking them to fail. They're asking them to make some mistakes. They're asking them to set aside a certain amount of their time to, to dream. Uh, you know, there are businesses who are doing this without a theological base to it. And I think if, if you've got a theological base, it's much better and it works a lot better. And you see who gets the credit. But the whole concept still works because God will direct in those arenas as well, especially Christian leaders when, when they can't talk about faith. I mean, I, I talk about this as a theology of trust. And you can have that theology of trust even if you can't share your faith with others because you're in an environment where they won't allow that. You can still have that trust in God. So, no, I, I think it really does work in business. And and there are, are business leaders, more and more of them, who are saying, we don't have a plan. Part of the challenge with business is their plan has been built too much around quarterly reports and not about lasting influence. And that's why they're failing. And uh, part of our, our letting go of that planning is really to trust God for more concrete, meaningful results than just simply making it through the next quarter. Yeah, or the, some of the leaders that I work with, even in, in my, you know, other, my professional life, the plans are just this check the box, uh, have some meetings about it, file it away. And then they just go back to work, right? It almost just becomes like this this big organizational thing that they're just in the habit of doing, and nobody really follows. Yeah, yeah, and and for and, and they put a lot of effort into it. They publish the report, and it doesn't change anybody. And they never report on it. In ministries, we don't report on it. I mean, we're always talking about the new thing, the great new thing we're going to do. We're never talking about the thing we we didn't do as well as we thought we were going to do on the last great new thing we were going to do. You know, and so opportunity leadership is much more about understanding who we are and and understanding which opportunities fit come down to three things for me, mission, gifting, and capacity. So we've got to know our mission so well, whether that be a business whether that be your role as a, as a husband or father, whether that be uh, as a church leader or ministry, you got to know your mission inside and out and not waver. In fact, I wrote a whole chapter on stay in your lane. Don't waver out of your lanes. Know what your mission is. Secondly, what's our gifting? What are we good at? What do we know we can do? Uh, that program I mentioned to you in China, we've been offering an MBA in China for, for four years in a different setting. And when that opportunity came along, we knew we were good in China. We knew we could communicate with those students. And we were able to make that decision in about a day and a half. Uh, to start that doctor of business administration in China. Uh, it, it wasn't a hard decision because it was in our gifting and then our capacity. What, what can we take on? What do we have room to take on or what do we not have enough room for? And I think as you just use that as your guide, God opens doors, closes doors. And don't forget, God's no is as good as God's yes. We always celebrate God's yeses. When God opens a door, we say, oh, isn't this great? The Lord's all over it. And we hit a roadblock and we want to say, well, I got to power through this. I'm the leader. I got to bust this open, make this happen. No, maybe God's saying no. And God's no is as good as God's yes when we listen to him. That's, that's so good. And that was one of the questions I was going to uh, ask you here was that you suggest rejoicing in a roadblock, right? And, and is that the reason why? Because it's a clear answer? It, it really, to me, it's a clear answer. I just got turned down for a big program we wanted to do to offer prison education in the four biggest Mississippi prisons. And the federal government didn't approve us for uh, for the second chance Pell. And, you know, when I first got the news, I was disappointed. And it took me about 10 minutes to say, no, God's either protecting us 
or he's got something else forced to do, or somebody else is better prepared to do that. And either of that, as long as it happens, that's the goal. It doesn't have to be us who does it. So you got to rejoice in those. But you know, when you hit those roadblocks, I mean, there are three things you can do. One is you can go in and try and blow it up. And, uh, and, and a lot of people do that. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest where we used to, they used to bring these logs down the river and they'd make these big log jams. And when you had a log jam, you can do three things. You can go in and put dynamite in, blow it up, but you don't know what's going to happen. Secondly, you, if you're really skilled, you can go in with a big iron pole and you can try and break up that jam, but you can break your leg in the process. And some people go in and try to do that in their business uh, setting and they get hurt. Or you can wait. And those logs will rub against each other and eventually they'll usually break free on their own. And what I find is if we wait in those log jam times and listen to God, either he's telling us no or he's using that jam to work something out in his time and his way. And if we'll let him work rather than us trying to be the fixer, then I think we get so much more done. But that's hard for men sometimes because dads are fixers. That's what we do. We fix stuff. And when we can't fix stuff in a hurry, we feel like there's something wrong with us, you know? But uh, I tell you, I deal with dads all the time and their parents and their kids who come. And dads, you can't fix everything. God loves them more than you do. And just let God fix some of this stuff. Well, and we like blowing stuff up, right? Like, we that's do. fun. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be fun to blow up the roadblock. Okay, last question. I want you to share one more metaphor because um, I really like these. Uh, baseball manager versus football coach. So talk about that and how that's helpful for us. Yeah, you know, I, I, I wrote a chapter on let's emulate baseball managers instead of football coaches because somehow in leadership we've idealized these football coaches. And I've been to Nick Saban's training camp and everything is pinned down to every nth degree in that training camp at Alabama. And Tony Dungy and these other coaches, football does that kind of thing. But football is not what leadership is about in the same way. Those characteristics don't transfer into a dynamic organization where people have their own ideas and their own work responsibilities and their own things. Football is about control. It's about preciseness. It's time constrained. It's about team synchronization where everybody works perfectly together. It's about executing a predetermined plan. And football is about winning every game. If you lose more than about one, you're not going to the national playoffs. So baseball, on the other hand, is completely different. Baseball rewards anticipation. It's reactionary to what's happening. It takes personal ingenuity of each of those players, a lot of flexibility, interwoven purposes. They all play in different ways. And you can lose about 30% of the games and you can still win the World Series. Here's the big difference for leaders. Have you ever noticed when you're watching a football game, when the pressure's on, you're watching a televised football game, the camera always goes to the coach. In a baseball game, when the pressure's on, the camera doesn't go to the manager, it goes to the player. And we in leadership need to turn that camera on our people, not on us. We got more than a camera on us. Find a different way. You know, a football coach stomps up and down the sidelines and it's control and of everything and everything has to go through them. A baseball manager's kind of sitting in the back of the dugout watching, making suggestions, kind of quietly maneuvering things to happen, but it's the players who are in the spotlight. 
I think there's a whole different model we can take in leadership that will make us much more effective than this uh, emulation of football coaches that's kind of taken over, especially Christian leadership. Yeah, that is fantastic. I mean, I'm a huge baseball fan already, uh, but you nailed it. You nailed that right there. And that is really, really insightful. So here, in, I'm here in Dallas, so I'll watch the Rangers. And uh, when you watch the coach, it's the coaches plural in the dugout kind of talking together. And I know the football coaches are on their, their headset. So we're, it looks like they're talking to themselves and it's a team environment uh, there with all that. But that anticipation piece is exactly right because you just don't know where that ball's going to go. And, and you just got to have a few options open and go, it could be here, could be here, could be here. And just see. Yeah, see baseball managers are a great model for yeah. leadership. It really that is, is. That really is excellent. Well, Dr. Parrott, I could talk to you all day. Uh, this has been fascinating. It really is. Uh, I love your stories. I love the clarity here. I love the conviction. And, and I'm sure this is the way a lot of people are going to react to this message. Like you're putting a pebble in our shoe. And, and I like how you said that this is really a theology of trust. And, and I think that's the part for a lot of men for us to wrestle with there on who are we trusting? Because we can say, oh, we're trusting the Lord, right? We're trusting the Lord. But in the day in, day out, are we trying to blow up roadblocks? Are we trying to go to this uh, force, this future on our kids and our families, on our businesses? Um, you're asking some really great questions. And so well, I, like and I think for men, especially because I think somehow we feel like God throws us the keys to the car and says, OK, you're in charge. You go make this happen. I've anointed you to do it. No, it's not that way. God is still in charge. God's in control. We don't have to fix everything. Relax. Again, starting with the question you began this discussion with, it's the best decision I ever made. I wouldn't lead any other way at this point because there's such a joy in it because God gets the credit for it all. And and I can trust in him uh, and, and really relax in the responsibility that he's given me. Hey, Amen. That's a great Great spot to end uh, right there with that thought. So, Dr. Parrott, once again, thanks for your time today. Thanks for jumping on the Better Man podcast. I warned you. I warned you that it was going to mess with you. If you're a little bit of a planner, that that was going to mess with you. I think my favorite answer was why this is not abdicating responsibility. Why is this not passivity? That was really well thought out and said really well. Love that analogy with the sailboat and the power boat. So uh, here's another quote that came to mind. So years ago, right after my wife and I, we first got married, we were in a financial crisis the day we said I do. Uh, we were sitting on about $120,000 in student loan debt. I was a full-time seminary student. I was tutoring accounting part-time. My wife was working at a nonprofit. We were paying more in debt payments each month than we were even paying for rent in our small little apartment. And so we made a decision about six months after getting married to pay off our debt, right? We wanted to get out of that debt sooner rather than later. And so my inner CPA kicked in and I made a spreadsheet and I created all these amortization tables and we set this plan in place to try to pay off this debt in a certain period of time. I think we, we thought it was going to take us five or six years or something like that to pay off that debt. And then uh, we were probably a couple months into paying off that debt, and uh, I actually was reading the great book by Jim Collins called Good to Great, and there was a quote in there by one of the companies that he was interviewing and talking about and that they were researching where they said this. They said, planning is priceless, but plans are useless. Planning is priceless, but plans are useless. And I remember looking at my wife when I read that, and I said, uh, you know, we've got this plan to pay off the debt, and that plan was priceless for us to go through that, to talk about that, to just think about 
if we did control all circumstances, where would we like things to go? What was going to be best for our family? What was going to be honoring to God? That was a priceless process for us. But the plans themselves are useless. And that fits with theology, right? That fits with God's word, that man plans, but God directs the steps. We just know that to be true. That's part of the adventure of following Jesus, is that we don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. Jesus talked about that, right? We're just supposed to worry about today. And that, here we are, you know, we ended up paying off the debt. Uh, Oddly enough, it happened a little bit sooner than we planned, maybe one of the only things in life that went faster than planned. But we really learned an important lesson. Uh, We've got to be ready for curveballs. We've got to be ready for these opportunities that the Lord may present to us uh, as we go through this life of just trying to be faithful. And I really feel like that kind of summarizes what Dr. Parrott was saying there. Planning? Yeah, sure. Priceless. It's good for you and your family and your wife or your kids or your team to talk about that priceless process. But the plans themselves, who knows, right? Uh, Who knows? Because we worship a God who is sovereign and uh, he is not like us and he does what he pleases. And we've got to be ready for those amazing opportunities that can come our way. So Dr. Parrott, just thanks for giving us food for thought. Like I said at the end, great pebble in our shoe as we are in our home life, our professional life, and everything in between. So once again, thanks for jumping on the Better Man podcast here with us today. This episode, like all episodes, was produced, mixed, and edited by the team over at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. That's all we got for today on the Better Man podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you again next time.